Plum Creek. I want to welcome all of you here today. Whether you are brand new to our church or you've been around a long, long time, I am glad you're here. We're in the middle of a long journey called the gospel. We're taking several months to go through the life and the ministry of Jesus. But you picked a great day to be here because this morning we're starting a new series called No Ordinary Man. And that title is a great description of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus proved by his words and by his actions that he was anything but ordinary. If you brought along a Bible or a Bible app with you, open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. That's where we'll be hanging out today. And I'm looking forward to this because John chapter 3 has one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. You probably know what it is, right? John 3.16. Even if you have never darkened the door of a church until today, you probably know about this verse. It just shows up all over the place. Uh, You might have seen people hold up John 3.16 signs, especially at sporting events. Uh, But that's not all. Certain businesses print this verse onto their products. For example, if you're ever out west and you stop to eat at an In-N-Out burger, you might want to look under your cup because sometimes they hide John 3.16 under there. They're sneaky like that. In recent memory, one of the most well-known appearances of John 3.16 was when Tim Tebow wrote that verse on his eye black for the 2009 BCS championship game between Florida and Oklahoma. That was big news at the time. But there's a follow-up to that story that is flat-out amazing. Exactly three years after Tebow won that championship with Florida, he found himself in the NFL, playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos in a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Broncos won that game in overtime, and right away, people noticed some strange things about the final stats. Tim Tebow threw for exactly 316 passing yards. He also averaged 31.6 yards per completion, which was the highest in postseason history. Pittsburgh's time of possession was 31.06. And then to top it off, the TV ratings for that game ended up at 31.6. What do you make of that? Uh, Tebow said, a lot of people will say that's a coincidence. I say, big God. He also said that during that playoff game, 90 million people Googled that verse. And if you ask me, that's very cool because John 3.16 is one of the most beautiful and powerful summaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we are definitely going to read John 3.16 today, but I want to wait and read it in context. John chapter 3 tells a story. It's an encounter between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. There's a lot to take away from this story, so let's dive in. Follow along with me in your Bible or up on the screen. John 3, starting with verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So, we are introduced to a man named Nicodemus. And he's a pretty important guy. He's a Pharisee, which means Nicodemus is part of an elite group of Jewish religious leaders. And you know, a lot of us think of the Pharisees as a bunch of bad guys. And there are 
good reasons for thinking that. Uh, Many of the Pharisees were prideful and condescending. Most of them were completely unwilling to even consider the possibility that Jesus might be the Messiah. But we can't paint the Pharisees with too broad of a brush because there were exceptions. Nicodemus seems to be one of those exceptions. He comes to Jesus open and willing to learn. As we'll see, Jesus eventually has a big impact on his life. But what was the reason for this meeting? In verse 2, we read that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. They have this conversation under cover of darkness. And why would that be? Well, I've heard several theories. Some say that Nicodemus and Jesus were just really busy. They couldn't get their Outlook calendars to line up, so they had to schedule this very late meeting. I'm not sure I buy that explanation. Others say that Nicodemus met Jesus at night because he didn't want them to be seen together. That could cause trouble with his fellow Pharisees. And that one seems a little more believable to me because Jesus was already a controversial figure by this point. At the end of John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple and he drives out these merchants who are dry, they're buying and selling in the middle of what should be a place of worship. Jesus flips over tables and he yells, get out of here, stop making my father's house a market. I'm sure that did not go over well with the religious leaders. But at any rate, Nicodemus makes his way through the darkness to have a conversation with Jesus. And he opens with a very complimentary statement. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. We have to understand that it's a big deal for Nicodemus to address Jesus as rabbi. Remember, Nicodemus is a highly respected teacher. He's a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council or the Sanhedrin. You don't reach that level unless you're extremely bright. Nicodemus would have memorized vast sections of Scripture word for word. He was sought out as someone who was wise in the ways of God. He also would have been much older than Jesus. Nicodemus was probably in his 60s, while Jesus is only in his early 30s. So again, it was a humbling thing for Nicodemus to call rabbi, to call Jesus rabbi or teacher. It's a little surprising that he was open to learning from Jesus. But that's how the conversation begins. Nicodemus starts off being respectful and complimentary. And when someone gives you a compliment, how do you respond? Most of the time, you smile and you say thank you, right? Especially when you're talking to a person of authority. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus hits Nicodemus with this statement that seems to come out of the blue. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Wow. You see what just happened? First, Nicodemus says, Jesus, a few of my companions and I, we've noticed something special in you. We really believe that you've come from God. But immediately, Jesus gets a little confrontational. He's like, you know, Nick, it's great that you know so much of the Bible. It's great that people look to you as a wise teacher, but those things will not get you to God. The only way you can enter God's kingdom is if you are born again. Now, you can imagine Nicodemus being a little thrown off by that response, right? And that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. 
Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, this is one of those times where I wish we had a video of this discussion. I'd love to see what Nicodemus' face looked like here. Was he kind of dumbfounded, like, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, I just don't follow you? Or was he possibly smiling just a bit, maybe being a little sarcastic, kind of like, come on now, Jesus, you don't expect me to jump back into my mother's womb, do you? But if it was a joke, Jesus keeps a straight face because what he's talking about is a very serious matter. Let's read the next few verses. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, the verses I just read are some of the most discussed and debated in all of the Bible. Scholars and commentators try to parse out the meaning and the symbolism here, and they don't always agree. And there are times when it's great to dig into all of those details, but today I want to focus on the big picture of what Jesus is saying here because I, I, don't want, I want to make sure we don't miss that. The main theme is really pretty simple. Jesus tells Nicodemus that you can't get to God without a spiritual rebirth. That phrase, born again, literally means born from above. So we know that somehow God has to be involved in this rebirth. But the big question is, how does that happen? How does one experience this spiritual rebirth? Well, today we have an advantage that Nicodemus did not have. We can read the rest of the New Testament, which tells us exactly how this process takes place. And we'll get to that process a little later. But like I said, Nicodemus didn't have access to the New Testament, so he's just confused. In verse 9, he asks Jesus, how can this be? And Jesus answers, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Now, if that's anyone but Jesus, the Son of God, that response may seem a little presumptuous or even rude, but Jesus understands the urgency of this conversation. Nicodemus is in a position of spiritual leadership, but he doesn't understand spiritual things. That is a huge problem, not only for the people who listen to him, it's also a big problem for Nicodemus himself. So in this conversation, Jesus is saying, listen, man, you can't think of yourself as a good person who occasionally does bad things. You're also not a bad person who occasionally does good things. The reality is, you are a dead person who needs to be made alive. Now, that may sound kind of extreme, but that's the consistent message of Scripture. If you flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes these words to a group of Christians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So the Bible is consistent. Before you come to Christ, before you experience this spiritual rebirth, you're not just someone who needs a little improvement. You are spiritually dead, and you need to be made alive again. At one time, that was true of each one of us, because all of us have sinned against God. 
All of us made decisions that went against his will. And that sin chokes out the spiritual life inside of us. It's death to our souls. And if we leave this world in that state of spiritual death, we'll be separated from God for all eternity. However, there is good news. Very, very good news. And do you know where we can find that good news? You know, don't you? John 3, 16. In this verse, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, but he's also talking to all of us. Let's go ahead and say this out loud, all together. Here we go, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That, my friends, is the gospel. I'm not sure you could find a better summary of the good news of Jesus. And do you see why these words have such a profound impact on so many people? This is the best thing Nicodemus ever heard in his entire life. It's also the best thing you've ever heard in your entire life. God loves the world. He loves us. And how much did he love? He loved so much that he gave. And how much did he give? He gave his one and only son. Jesus, the son of God, willingly gave up his life for us, for you. He died so that you wouldn't have to be in that state of spiritual death for all eternity. He took my place. He took your place. And today, all of us who come to Jesus in faith and accept what he's done, all of us who receive this gift from God, this gift of grace, we can claim the promise of eternal life. So yes, there is no doubt about it. John 3.16 is a beautiful verse. It's a powerful verse. But you know, Jesus didn't stop at verse 16. We need to keep reading. In verse 17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And wow, that is more good news, isn't it? Some people have a picture of God that is harsh and condemning. But Jesus did not come into this world to condemn us. He came to save us. But now we can't stop at verse 17 either. There is some bad news to go along with the good news. Let's read verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, we have to take all three of these verses together. John 3.16 is absolutely true, but verses 17 and 18 are also true. And according to verse 18, when someone rejects Jesus, there are serious consequences. And why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is our only hope. He's our only way to God, the only way to life. Without him, we are condemned, not just today, but forever. So this is the picture. When we take all three of these verses together, we do see they illustrate the depths of God's love for us, but also the consequences of rejecting his love. And this is one of the best things about Jesus. He is full of love for you and me and everyone, everywhere. And he's also full of truth. Look at how that played out with Nicodemus. 
First, Jesus shares a hard truth with this older teacher. He says, Nicodemus, you're not okay where you are. Despite your accomplishments, you are spiritually dead. But then Jesus also shares that message of love, doesn't he? He says, Nicodemus, I did not come to condemn you because of where you are. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He can't stand the thought of being separated from you. And then finally, Jesus brings truth and love together. And he says, Nicodemus, if you let me, I will take you exactly where you need to be. I can give you that spiritual rebirth. I can save you from an eternity without God. I'm offering you eternal life. The great thing about John chapter 3 is that Jesus says those same things to all of us. It's true that without Jesus, you are not okay. And on your own, you'll never be okay. But despite that, God loves you right where you are. Jesus did not come to condemn you. He offers that spiritual rebirth to you, to all of us. But like Nicodemus, we can still get confused. For example, we might ask the question, well, how do I know if I've been born again? Like I said, we have the advantage of reading the whole New Testament. And because of that, we can see a clear process of how this new life begins. To start with, you have to admit that you've got a problem. You are spiritually dead and you need to be made alive. But at some point, you realize that Jesus is your only hope. And then across the New Testament, we see people respond to Jesus, how, how they accept this gift of life and grace. Here's what we see. First, you come to Jesus in faith. You put your life in his hands. You believe in him. Next, you repent. You turn away from your old life and your old ways. You change however Jesus calls you to change. And then you also confess or declare that Jesus is your Lord and your master. You're not running the show anymore. You're putting him in charge. And then you are baptized into Christ. Baptism is an event that marks the beginning of this new life. You're immersed into water. The old person is buried and you're raised up to live out this spiritual rebirth. But that is not the end of the story. Remember what Jesus said in John 3, verse 5. He said, in order to enter God's kingdom, you must be born of water and born of the Spirit. So we can't neglect the Holy Spirit here. When you're born of the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you, makes his home inside of you. The Spirit is the one who enables you to live out this new life. He's the one leading you through this transformation, becoming more like Jesus. That process takes your entire life. And that's it. That's what it looks like to experience this spiritual rebirth. And if you're like me, you may be wondering, well, whatever happened to Nicodemus? How did he respond? Did he say yes to Jesus? And it's kind of surprising, but John doesn't say. He doesn't wrap up this story with a clear resolution. It would be nice if John said, and right then and there, Nicodemus gave his life to Jesus. He got baptized and he went out spreading the good news. But nope, that's not there. However, if you read on in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus shows up a couple more times. In chapter 7, a bunch of Pharisees are in a meeting condemning Jesus. And guess what happens? Our boy Nicodemus stands up and defends Jesus in front of his peers. That took guts. And it tells us something about his faith, doesn't it? 
And then later, over in John 19, we, we read the story of the crucifixion. At the end of that chapter, Jesus has died, and no one is there to bury him. But then two individuals step up, and they take a great risk. They ask Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus, and they give him a proper burial. One of those men was Joseph of Arimathea, and the other was, you guessed it, Nicodemus. In fact, Nicodemus spent a huge amount of money on burial spices. And based on those actions, I have to believe that at some point, Nicodemus did become a follower of Jesus. But let's bring this back around to us. How do we respond to this story? How do we respond to the good news of John 3.16? Well, first of all, if you have not accepted that gift of life and salvation that only comes from Jesus, that's the best way to respond. Now, last week I said it's okay to take some time to investigate. Keep seeking until you're ready to put your faith in Jesus. But I also want to say, don't drag your feet on this. As soon as you're ready, don't wait. We never know how many days we have left in this life. None of us is promised tomorrow. So you can make that decision before you leave here today. We'll give you the opportunity to do just that. So that's one response. But then what about all of us who have already experienced that spiritual rebirth? What's our takeaway from John chapter 3? Well, here's what jumps out to me. This news is too good to keep it to ourselves. Jesus had a sense of urgency with Nicodemus, didn't he? He wasn't going to waste that meeting. He didn't tell Nicodemus what he wanted to hear. He told Nicodemus what he needed to hear. And today, there are people just like Nicodemus all over the world. They're going through life, trying to figure out what it's all about, trying to find meaning and significance, but they're coming up empty. They're empty because they are spiritually dead. They need to know that God loves them. Jesus did not come to condemn them. And by the way, if that wasn't his job, it's definitely not our job. We're not called to condemn people. At the same time, though, we can't let the pendulum swing the other way. We can't just pretend that people are okay without Jesus. We also can't approve of sin or encourage sin. We've got to learn to be full of both love and truth. And that's got to be the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who leads us to share the gospel with both truth and love. So today, if you are a follower of Jesus, your challenge is to have a clear answer to this question. How are you actively sharing the gospel of Jesus? You know, there are so many ways to do that. You can pray for people who are far from God right now. You can invite someone to church. You can share the story of your own spiritual rebirth. You can also get involved with global missions, helping spread the gospel around the world. In fact, you could take a step in that direction today, right after service. There's a special meeting for anyone interested in going on a mission trip with Plum Creek in 2020. So there are lots of ways to share the gospel. But this morning, we're focusing on one very specific and practical way to share the good news. Before you leave here today, you have the opportunity to say yes, to join the tribe of volunteers that serve in our kids' ministry. You know, every Sunday at Plum Creek, we see around 100 or more infants, toddlers, preschoolers, and elementary students. 
And as a parent of three children who are growing up in this ministry, I am so thankful for every volunteer that serves in this area. In one way or another, they're all helping to partner with parents to lead kids to Christ. And it may sound crazy, but it does take hundreds of people to run this ministry. Like Dylan said earlier, we have 237 roles to fill next year. That's more than half of the adults who attend Plum Creek on a regular Sunday. And that's why we're asking as many of you as possible to say yes to serving in kids' ministry. Now, a lot of you are part of this tribe already, and that's great. We really appreciate you. But some of you have held back for various reasons. You may feel like you're too busy, or maybe you think kids are just not your thing. But I want to ask you to set those thoughts aside for a moment. I want to hear from a few volunteers who've been serving here for a while now. Let's watch this video together. My name is Megan Blosser. Um, I live in Cold Spring. Um, I've been serving in the kids' ministries for two years now. I'm actually um, the small group leader, the kindergarten small group leader. Hi, I'm Ken Russell. And I'm Lynn. And we've been at Plum Creek for about 15 years, and we've been serving in the children's ministry for those 15 years. We've been teaching first service, kindergarten through fifth grade. So, um, I'm a, I'm, a te I'm a former teacher, I'm retired now, but I was a teacher, and uh, a person came up and asked me if I would be interested in teaching in the, in the children's ministry. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, I've, I've taught, you know, all the elementary grades, and, uh, you know, reading, the math, the science, the social studies, all that stuff, and when I thought, teaching about God, the Bible, I don't know, am I, do I have the background, do I have the knowledge to do all that? You know, that's a big step. And, after you know prayer and, and us talking about it, we uh, we decided you know why not? I mean the, the children are the future of the church, and it's important for them to have that background and relationship with Jesus. So why wouldn't I teach them that? You know that's probably one. I feel like it's the most important thing I've ever been teaching. And I'm not even I don't even have a background in education, but um, I decided it's very important for us to get together and help teach the kids because the kids are our future and we really want them to have a strong relationship with Jesus. And it's also important too, we have two children and at the time they were about eight and 12. And um, you know, I wanted them to see that it was important for us to take this time to teach children about, about Jesus. And so, you know, where you put your effort and your energy is, is what's important to you. And obviously our faith is very important to us. I have um, felt like a calling towards kids' ministry. That's always been the, the role that I've um, been in, and so that's kind of what led towards be becoming part of kids' ministry at Plum Creek. Um, I saw that there was a role that needed filled, and so I stepped up and said, yes, <laughs> I would do it. As far as time commitment, um, being a small group leader, since I'm doing it every Sunday, is more of a commitment, but it's honestly not that much commitment during the week. Um, like I, I just received the um, lesson for the week and I read over it a couple times and you know pray about it and focus on a few things, but it doesn't take a long time through the whole week. I have a lot of other things going on. It's, I have, I'm going to school, back to school full time, and so this just fits in so easily. It's just like when I'm reading my Bible, it, I use that a little bit of study time to go over the kids' lessons also. So I feel for me that the greatest joy is just seeing the children that come back, you know, week after week and 
and they are being able to apply what they have learned. Um, maybe it's something that um, applies from their life, like they might tell us a story about something that happened that week at school or with their family or with some friends, and they're able to remember um, that vocabulary word that we had been using, you know, like trust or compassion or whatever it was, or the scripture, and then they, they've applied it to their life. And sometimes they're not even aware that they've even done that, and sometimes they are. They're excited, like, oh my gosh, just happened this week. And, and um, I remembered we were talking about trust, and so I did. I trusted God, and He helped me. So it's those kinds of things that I think are my greatest joy. Yeah, we've seen kids come in at kindergarten and all the way through fifth grade, and just the progress they've made, just the transition. Um, even our own kids, um, they started coming uh, into our group, and we taught them, and we see now they have a strong relationship with Jesus outside, and it's just been a real blessing. I think the kids' ministries had great impact, just as far as reiterating the um, Bible verses and the stories that we've been going over, but also as a parent, I can say that I've seen um, a change in my boys, that they're able to remember small things like uh, Bible verses, or when they learn about kindness, they're finding ways to go out and be kind. So I feel like the kids' ministries has had that impact on my own children, and I see it in all the other children also. If you're thinking about serving kids ministry and you're not sure if you're ready, I would say personally just do it. Um, you might not feel like it will be your thing or it might be challenging, but I promise it's so rewarding to work with kids. And here at Plum Creek, since I've worked at kids ministries at other churches, I can say that Plum Creek is the easiest to volunteer at because it's such a large team of people and your job is such a small part but that small part that you have um, brings back such a great reward with working with kids. You won't regret it, so just do it. Yeah, basically, we came in here. We weren't 100% sure what we were getting into, but we're so glad we volunteered. And I think, too, if you're on the fence and you're not sure, some things I would recommend is you know, go talk to Dylan. You're more than welcome to come talk to us. Um, come in and sit in on a class and see what we do because I've... And, and see, you know, see the materials that we are using and um, get, get kind of familiar with that. And of course, obviously, you know, something you need to pray about if, if you're not 100%. Maybe God, you know, isn't leading you this way, but if, you're, if it's on your heart, He's probably leading you this way. And um, just come check it out and try it. It's, it's been a blessing. Obviously, we've been doing it for, like you said, the last 15 years. So, obviously, I, I highly recommend it. It's very rewarding. Good enough, you think? I think it's good. You <laughs> said great. sharing some of their story. It is inspiring when you see people who heard God's call and then responded to that call. Now, today is unique because we're asking over 200 of you to take a bold step. Instead of thinking about it for a while or waiting for another year, we're asking you to leave the worship center, go out to the gathering area, and sign up today to serve in 2020. And as you heard in the video, there's a whole range of roles available. With some of those roles, you need to be a member, but with others, you don't. And in some areas, there's a bit of a time commitment, but in others, it doesn't take much time at all. So if God is leading you in this direction, step up, make the commitment. 
can go out to those displays in the gathering area and find commitment cards out there as well as team members who can answer your questions. And I'll say this too, if you are not sure about it, you can still go out and get more information before you take the leap. But as you think about this and you pray about this, I want you to know Plum Creek's kids' ministry is not about babysitting. It's about leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we've seen that. We've seen many children who heard the gospel and then they accepted Jesus and then they were baptized into Christ. But there is another layer to this. This ministry is not just about having an impact on children. We don't always think about it this way, but when you serve with our kids, you're also helping adults who need to hear the gospel. Look at our special needs ministry. When parents have a child with special needs, sometimes they feel like they can't go to church because a lot of churches won't be ready to accommodate their family. But because of our volunteers, that is not the case here. Those children will be loved, and those parents have a chance to focus on what God is saying to them. That's one example, but I could also tell you a story that I heard at Life Group just this week. One of the members of our group invited a coworker to come to Plum Creek, and that coworker said, yes, she's planning to be here very soon. But do you know what her number one concern was? She said, what's going to happen to my kids? Will, will they be taken care of? Will they like it? And this is why I'm so thankful for Dylan and the kids' ministry team. We can say with confidence, yes, your kids will be taken care of very, very well. All of our volunteers go through a background check, and our whole system is set up for kids to be safe and secure and loved. But we can also say with confidence, yes, your kids will like it. They're going to have a blast. And because of the strength of this ministry, that mom can put her kids in good hands and then come into this room and hear about the God that loves her so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you have your challenge. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to sharing the good news. And say yes to God's calling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for your love. That's really what has struck me today. Your love for us is so great. And you chose to love us when we didn't deserve it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You, you didn't wait until we tried to clean up our act. You didn't wait until we were acceptable to you. You knew that would not happen. So you chose to, to make it possible for us to get that clean slate, to be forgiven and washed clean, and then be able to be with you forever. So we thank you so much for that. Thank you that the good news overcomes the bad news. But Lord, I pray that you will use us to share that news. Use our church to lead others to you. Help us to have the same sense of urgency that Jesus had. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.